Um, I'm, I'm jamming out, Ronan. I don't know where you want to go, but I'm staying right here. Oh, man, dude. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. We're standing at the start of the final time trial of the Tour de France. The caravan is going by behind us. You can probably hear them. It's about 45 minutes long. We were trying to get to the other side of the road. We now can't do that anymore. We're, we're stuck on this side of the road for a little while. Is that the worst place in the world to be stuck? No, that's fine. They might throw some keychains at us. This is it. This is the final TT. This is the moment where uh, Tadej Pogacar must vigorously defend his five, nearly six minute lead in the overall classification. Do you think he can do it, Ronan? Not a chance. Six minute lead going into a 30 kilometer time trial? It's, uh, it's unlikely he'll hold off the, uh, the other chasing solo cyclists. The charging, charging speeds of Jonas Vindigu, who needs to go 65 kilometers an hour to overhaul Tadej Pogacar. That is loud. Vive Latour. Um, so for today's episode, obviously we're going to talk about it, you know, the bike racing at the end here. But uh, this morning, we're going to do a little, we're going to do a paddock walk. Uh, we don't have the access that we did, for example, when we did this before with Josh Portner. Some of you might remember that. Can you imagine having to listen to that song for three weeks? Because that's what they do. <laughs> anyway, a couple years ago, we did this with Josh Porter. It was great. Really enjoyed it. Um, we had better access at that point. Nonetheless, we can still see stuff. We can talk to people. So we're going to do a little a little paddock walk this morning. What are we looking for, Ronan? Uh, I suppose on time trial day, we're looking for... You know, a lot, a lot of teams tend to use equipment that might not be sponsor correct. That's what I'm sort of on the lookout for. We see a lot of teams, uh, see a lot of teams using different wheels than they would normally be seen using. We see a lot of teams using different handlebars, uh, different tires, just very specific setups for for time trial day that you wouldn't see on, on another day. And there's also you can sort of spot just by looking at the equipment used and sort of the attention to detail you can sort of spot the differences in team budgets um, and I suppose as well team sort of uh, give a shit give a sh- I was looking for a word that yeah I, I was looking for some a word I'm having a total mind blank I think that's what happens after three weeks but <laughs> traditional versus more modern thinking teams I think that's what I'm looking for conservative versus progressive that's political we shouldn't go that way panache versus science <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, the bike exchange team here has a whole lot of pizza. 16 boxes of pizza, to be <laughs> precise. <laughs> they look like, what, 12-inch uh, pizzas? I think he's asking if he wants a pizza. Uh, I definitely want a whole pizza. <laughs> how, do you say, how do you say wee wee in Australian? Uh, yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> We're, we're wandering past Bike Exchange. They're obviously on their Bianchis. We'll come back to them. We ha- we're on our way to Israel's startup nation because there's something very specific that Ronan wants to look at there. We're also now wandering past EF Education. They've only got one bike for the whole team here. All the other teams have like 10 or 20 bikes lined up outside the bus, and EF only have one, so we're going to share it. Hopefully they can address that before the start. 
Is this like little 500? They gotta like sort of swap off through the start finish area. Wandering past uh, Team Quebeca next hash. Yumba Visma, here we go. You wanna start with Yumba Visma? Yeah, because I'm, I don't know if it's because of me, but I wanna take a bit of credit for this, but <laughs> the stage five time trial, Yumba Visma had, had uh, parked in a way that made it very easy for me to snap pictures of their bikes. And we included quite a lot of pictures of their bikes in my time trial galleries. Today, Yumba Visma have parked with, uh, what, five different vehicles, I think? A truck, a bus, and a van in such a way that the only thing we can see is absolutely nothing. A truck, a bus, and a van, that's what we can see. <laughs> we can look in this van. I guess inside this van gives us a bit of a, if we needed any confirmation that Yumba Visma are using aero coach front wheels, we can see uh, quite a few aero coach wheel bags. Uh, two inside the van, five or six lying on the ground here outside it. Tell me about aero coach. What is what is this? Well, these are wheels from Aerocoats, actually a UK-based uh, company. They specialised in sort of time trial optimization and aerodynamics, and they offer a range of products. But one of the things they offer is the Titan Zephyr front wheels that we heard so much controversy about when when they were banned mid Giro after Philip Bogana had used it to win the opening stage time trial. Uh, of course, the ones that Yumbo Visma are using are, are not banned because they're a disc brake version. They don't have the arrow-shaped end cap that was the issue with the rim brake version. Uh, but the main thing about these wheels, 100 millimeters deep, so they're obviously you know intended to be quite aerodynamic. Uh, and we can see two wheels here. One's got a cap over the valve cover, just so that extra tiny little extra little bit of uh, aerodynamics. Interestingly, the UCI didn't have an issue with that. Uh, and the other one, no, it's literally a fairing even though it's literally exactly the same thing as we've seen with the, with the hub. Uh, and then the wheel beside it has that cap removed to, to access the valve to, to you know, inflate the tire. Basically, yeah, we can, we can see the, the wheel with the cover and without it. Uh, Ronan, you also, you wrote a story just this morning on cyclingtips.com, great website, that looked into the, a probe, a sensor, an aerodynamic sensor that Yumba Visma has been using that was developed by some former F1 aerodynamicists. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, we've seen multiple aero sensors, so to speak, uh, come out in the last few years. Uh, some of them have varying levels of uh, usage within the peloton, but Yumbo Visma are actually using one that I hadn't seen before prior to the stage five time trial. So did a bit of investigation work. Um, and it turns out that it's what's called a Ventos sensor from uh, a company who originated in Formula One, they actually make the probes for the Mercedes F1 uh, team. Of course, Lewis Hamilton and, and uh, Valtteri Bottas use that to much success. Uh, and they took that sort of patented probe that they had from Formula One, brought it across to cycling, changed it a little bit to include uh, a, an elevation reading, which is one of the key things for for work calculating the rider CDA and, and cycling aerodynamics. Uh, and is also one of the biggest challenges in these aero sensors is that the elevation measurement needs to be so accurate uh, that if it's out in any way, it's, it sort of renders it a bit useless. And, and what Velo Sensor is saying that is that their their Ventos sensor is actually accurate to within 10 to 20 centimeters, not meters or not <laughs> any other measurement, but actually centimeters. So yeah, highly accurate um, elevation measurement there, which then allows them to to like They will they can literally pick up like speed bumps. <laughs> They, they have used their sensor to measure someone's height. 
<laughs> accurately. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yes, that is pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, they, they have also included yaw angle measurement, which uh, has been the sort of criticism of some of these aero sensors that they, they don't account for yaw angle. Uh, and, and VeloSense have included this in their sensors. So Yumba Visma have been using that to sort of optimize Jonas Vindigo's time trial position. Over the winter, he was sort of in lockdown in Denmark, couldn't get to a wind tunnel. Uh, so they used, they used the uh, the VeloSense instead. And yeah, it didn't seem to do him much harm. He was third in the uh, Basque Country time trial third in the open time trial of the Tour de France uh, and they're also interestingly using the the VeloSense to get a wind profile for the course so we, we you know of course we know riders have forever looked at elevation profiles uh, well Jumbo Visma are now also using wind profiles which basically anybody who's ever ridden past a, an opening in a, in, a, in a hedge or a building or something like that will know of the sort of blast of air blast of wind on your front wheel and how, how sort of that can throw you offline and if you're riding a disc on the rear and a hundred mil wheel in the front that could be catastrophic so they're they're using that one profile then to make decisions about which wheel to use on on different days and then during the race to relay that information to the rider through the radio just to say you know uh switch your position on the road because there's an opening coming up or, or something to that effect so going at like we, we know young Visma pay attention to the details this is really delving into the uh deep deep into the details i guess so this device, this device allows them to do the, the wind profile stuff, but it, it's more about sort of optimization, right? It's about, you know, taking, they can, they can calculate CDA, your aerodynamic drag, and look at the relationship between that and power output so they can basically do positioning stuff. You know, are you better off a, in, in a higher position or a lower position? How exactly, how high should we put your handlebars? How close should we put your handlebars? How should we set up this bike? They can do all that with real data from like well basically without going into a wind tunnel which makes it in a lot of ways actually better than a wind tunnel because a wind tunnel is not exactly real world conditions you can't you very rarely anyway you stick somebody on a wind tunnel and 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 get them fatigued for example before they are are tested whereas this in this case you can just send a rider out on a course you have data for the entire way around you see what the fatigue does you see how their position changes over the course of a time trial and therefore sort of how to make adjustments yeah exactly and that that's that's what um, Matthew Hybor, the head of performance from Jumbo Visma, actually told me this morning was that, that that is exactly what they were doing for Jonas Vinegard over the winter, uh, just testing his position and, and adjusting his position on the road in, in the real world, so to speak. Uh, I think on time trial day like today, we've seen the team roll out with the sensor this morning again. There's no actual intention to adjust positions this close to the race. Today is all about creating that wind profile. So, yeah, sort of at least two use case scenarios for this new sensor. By the way, uh, I believe your discussion with, what was his name? Matthew, Matthew Hybor. Hybor. I believe you have discussion with him on the on an upcoming Nerd Alert podcast, is that correct? That is correct, yeah. We uh, sort of chatted to Matthew about how the team makes equipment selections, how they decide which frame, which wheels uh, to use on, on different stages, and, and how that can differ from rider to rider within the one stage. So, if you don't already, head over and check out the Nerd Alert podcast and make, you su- make sure you subscribe because that way you won't miss this upcoming episode with the technical director of Yumba Visma. I've just noticed that Yumba Visma is sponsored by Burgers. That is a nice sponsor to have. We had burgers last night. We weren't sponsored our burgers. <laughs> no, we had to buy our own burgers. Yeah. I assume they get free burgers. We sponsor them. Ourselves. We sponsor ourselves. 
like Asos. Yeah. All right, let's keep walking. Okay, Sam's sake, known, known time trial powerhouse. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sense a bit of sarcasm there. <laughs> In fairness, though, you know, maybe not the um, maybe not the team known for for time trialing performance, but what we can see here is that they're actually taking it quite seriously, uh, and. You know, we seen Matthew Vanderpool was uh, in the yellow jersey earlier in this race and had to, you know, scramble the night before the time trial, testing skin suits, testing positions, adapting things, and that's too late. Whereas at least RKS Samsek here, they are making a conscious effort to improve their time trial as much as possible. We can see drag to zero handlebars here on Connor Schwarzbike. We can see uh, what looks like Roval 321 discs on the rear um, and a Karima front tri-spoke, if I can... Yeah, it, that's certainly what it looks like from this distance in a way. Interestingly, they're using the Continental GP5000 tubeless uh, front tire there. Uh, and then the bike beside that actually has a completely different wheel. They have a Swiss side, um, it looks like about an 80mm deep front wheel, uh, with again the Continental GP5000 tubeless. Beside that then we have uh, a, a rim brake version of the Canyon with um, Pro's uh, disc on the rear and Pro's tri-spoke on the front, and on that they're using Continental competition tubular, so a huge variety of setups here. Um, Who are the riders here? Like, well, who's 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 riding what? So we have Connor Swift. We have Connor Swift, who is uh, running the drag to zero sort of custom handlebars. They're not actually custom, but they would be they're reminiscent of the custom handlebars we see a lot of other teams riding. Beside that, we've got Ellie Jasbert, who is on the new Canyon Speedmax. Uh, and he's running that uh, Swiss side front wheel, as, as we mentioned there. And then the the Canyon Speedmax we see here with the pro uh, tubular setup. It's the, the fully the fully sponsored correct version. It is the fully sponsored correct version, but it, it, it can be sponsored correct because it's the previous generation Speedmax, which is rim brake. Of course, pro don't, do not currently have a disc, disc, double disc, disc squared. <laughs> A, a disc wheel with disc brakes uh, offering for for the team. So you know it's 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 not that the team are using non-sponsor correct wheels there. Uh, purely. They kind of have to. They kind of have to, yeah. But uh, what I like here is that they're they're uh, they're making the right decisions when it when it comes to which non-sponsor correct stuff to use. Good job, okay, Samsic. I want to see who's who's on the old bike here. Who got stuck with the old bike? It's another Connor Swift bike. So maybe it's a B bike. Is there a bike here? Yeah, so it's a backup bike. That's nice. Nobody got the nobody got the old bike to ra actually race on. I I sort of wandered past the Alpes and Fenex team earlier, and they have a fleet of the new Speedmax for uh, the the riders race bikes, and then they have a fleet of the the previous version Speedmax for for reserve bikes. Interestingly, inside the truck, they still have Matthew Vanderpool's yellow Canyon Air Road, uh, completely decked out in, in yellow paint and graphics and that so just in case he comes back yeah even if he comes back i'm not sure he'll be allowed to you know take back the yellow jersey pogaccio's got a firm grip on that yellow jersey now i can't see him relinquishing it before paris seems unlikely yeah uh, we've just stumbled upon uh the trek segafredo bus and maz peterson is getting his pre-time trial meal in um it's an interesting tactic i haven't seen a rider carb up on pizza before but that's that's exactly what we're witnessing here he's getting the pizza in enjoying the the sun uh topping up the vitamin d i think so taking today's race very seriously he does have compression socks on so yeah. you know that's something 
That is quite something, yes. <laughs> these are the new Trek. These are the new Trek time trial bikes, uh, and we've got Bike Amalamas. Uh, Put that video of you um, eating your dessert up on Instagram the other day, and Tom's responded that we're weird. <laughs> he just said, "You guys are weird." I was like, "It's true, Tom. So you know, you know this about us. You know this." That is that is not new information. <laughs> what do we? What do we? So we've got new Trek TT bike here. You wrote about this previously, but you know, in case people missed it, what are we looking at? We're we are looking at the new Trek Speed concept. <laughs> Did they take the vowels out? I hate it when they take the vowels out. They went fully wahoo and removed all the vowels. <laughs> but yeah, it is the new Trek Speed concept. From what we hear, this bike is um, unreleased, under embargo, cannot be spoke about. Doesn't exist until the. Um, what do you call that risk where they do the, the, the they splash about in the water, then they get on their bikes for the serious part and then they jump about on their feet. Uh an iron thing? Yes. Yes. Bronze man. Man made of iron. <laughs> for the for the Kona Ironman World Championships in I think that's in October. Um, but despite all that, it's clearly sitting here in front of our eyes and surprisingly it, not transparent. Yeah. <laughs> for a bike that doesn't exist. All joking aside, it is, you know, it, it looks like a major update to the new Trek Speed concept compared to the, the current version. Uh, we've got, you know, an integrated top tube um, running straight into the stem there. We've got drop seat stays, everything you'd expect from a modern time trial bike. Uh, and yeah, we, we did report on this back at the time of the Dauphiné in, in June uh, and sort of followed up that article with um, another story about the bike specifically belonging to Bauke Mollema from the Stage 5 time trial because Mollema is actually running some new, as of yet unreleased, still from what we hear in the sort of design process, um, wireless access blips from SRAM. So the current blip system from SRAM, which is basically the shifters for the for the electronic group set on the time trial bike, they're, they're wired and it sort of limits where they can be placed and, and how far from the... the uh, how far out in front of the bike they can be placed but the new ones are completely wireless can be placed almost anywhere on the bike and and they're much smoother integration into the the time trial bar setup that we see here on Malama's bike and yeah we, we reported on those last week um, we had to wait for some um, non-comment from SRAM to, to finish that that article but we, we got it out there and one other thing just about these bikes we can see they're they're clearly running a, a zip disc on the rear there with that, that dumpled profile is uh, yeah that's Obvious, it's 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 the signature uh, zip zip uh, design now, and uh, yeah, it's it's I think it's no secret that that they're having to use that again because most likely because uh, sponsors of the team don't have a, a disc brake disc wheel. No Bontrager disc disc. Um, one other little thing I just noticed: prototype. So new a new sticker, a new new UCI sticker. So historically. You know, you got the, that that sticker that is on all bikes in any in any UCI race that says UCI approved, and the UCI has to approve all frames before they can be raced on. And that's basically just you know they 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 make sure they fit the right size parameters and, and geometry and things like that. These don't have the normal sticker; they have a prototype UCI approval sticker. Uh, Again, like we've often used the, the the UCI approved list to find out what's coming, you know, like it it, it 
bikes will often show up on that list before we actually see them in person. And we can often sort of draw conclusions like, oh, we spotted this bike at the Dauphiné, and it's there's this new bike on the list from Trek. Must be the same thing. So this is maybe a way around that. We're not gonna we're not gonna get that list quite so quickly anymore. Yeah, perhaps a little insight into my nerdiness, but that uh, UCI approval list is uh, the the homepage on my Google Chrome. So anytime I open Chrome, it opens, and you can you can search it by date to see what's 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 pretty new. Uh, and I'm I'm not exactly giving away any secrets there because the UCI have now made an agreement with manufacturers that they won't publish frames on there until manufacturers want them to be published. Uh, and this new prototype is basically, there was sort of a, a loophole there that teams could be testing prototypes uh, without the approval of the UCI. So this is sort of, the UCI are still approving the frame to say, you know, it is safe for whatever test they want to do. Uh, and, and that's why it's, it's not yet in the market, but it is uh, an, an official prototype. Uh, one other thing about the Trek wheels here that we can see on the front that um, they're using the Bondrager Aeolus RSL 75, 75mm rim, uh, but on that uh, the team has Pirelli P0 TLR, so tubeless ready I believe. Oh yeah, no tubulars here. But they haven't set this wheel up tubeless as far as I can see. Uh, it's not, no. <laughs> so it's a tubeless tire. I am gonna hope it has a latex tube inside it because that makes a significant difference. Uh, but it's certainly, certainly not set up tubeless. Which um, we can basically tell because there's no nut on the inside of the valve where it, where it comes out of the rim, which you have to be able to pull the, the, the valve sort of into the rim to make it airtight. And that's why you need that nut there. And this is just a, a traditional valve extender. What snacks do the quick step guys have? Oh, McDo. McDonald's. Cafe McDonald's. Les Fritures de McDonald's. <laughs> Interesting that they chose not to go with uh, not to go with the, the pizza that everyone else is going with. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing here is that unless you're a time trial specialist or you have intentions of properly racing tomorrow's Champs-Élysées stage, the tour is kind of over. <laughs> there's there's a very relaxed atmosphere about here. Um, Pizza eating is usually a good indicator of that. What are we looking at? We've just stopped outside the Cofidis mechanics truck. Um, and the mechanics are loading the DeRosa time trial bike into the back of the van. But specifically, it's the rim brake version. Uh, and what we can see beside that is the new disc brake version of that DeRosa time trial bike. Now, interestingly, this DeRosa disc brake time trial bike has uh, a disc brake setup from Campag. Um, they are running the Campag No 12 speed time trial uh, group set, uh, which is interesting because UE Emirates, the team of the, of the race leader, is running the 11 speed version of that group set. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, Cofidis are for some reason using TRP high road um, brake calipers, which effectively turn the, the, the rim brake levers on the base part of the time trial bike and, uh, and convert it to a disc brake hydraulic setup at the actual disc brake rotor. Uh, so I think part of the reason we haven't seen 12-speed um, Campag group sets on time trial bikes recently is because of the move to disc brake and they don't have a brake lever, time trial brake lever that is hydraulic disc brake compatible. Uh, so Cofidis have got around that with this uh, sort of a 
converter caliper. Um, but then, interestingly, if we move towards the rear of the bike, they've got the new Fulcrum Speed disc wheel, which is effectively the exact same wheel as Tadej Pogacar's using the Campagnolo Bora Ultra TT disc wheel. Uh, but again, the difference is that Kofit is here have the disc brake version which actually doesn't exist according to anybody uh, it's not it's certainly there's no announcement on it uh, and it's also while Pogaccia's wheel is is tubular only uh, Kofidis do appear to be running a tubeless setup here or at least um, a, a, one of their Michelin power time trial tires with, with a latex tube we know they are using latex tubes because we can see inside the truck they've got some green Michelin latex tubes hanging so uh, yeah another team that aren't exactly known for their attention to detail on the time trial or their, their time trial prowess but certainly uh, paying a lot more attention to, to their time trial rigs this year and, and optimising them as, as far as they can by the looks of it I'd like to take a moment to apologize to anybody out there who doesn't speak time trial. Uh, we we can put a glossary up, perhaps, on the website, and <laughs> you can work your way through it. Uh, or just, just come along for the ride. Just come along for the ride. Sometimes see in time trialing that the... Uh say amateur riders can be a step or two ahead of, of the professionals and the most interesting piece of tech I've seen today so far uh, was on the on a bike that just sort of was pushed by us there um, by a, I'd say a, a Frenchman in his retirement years most likely <laughs> he was actually running one of the Mavic you remember the Mavic One Tech ultimate cycle computers they were described as back in the day they had the speed sensor built into the quick release gear I do remember that and it was I think it was ultimate because it was like one of the first USB rechargeable devices but yeah it's good good to see that sort of tech here in, in, the, in, the, in the fans paddock of the, the Tour de France time trail I always thought actually a fans paddock uh, gallery would be fun to put on the site because you see some you see some pretty awesome bikes cruising around and some extremely terrible bikes but some pretty awesome bikes too yeah, I like to think I've got a, a sort of a, a fairly deep knowledge of, of bikes and components, uh, but see some stuff that I just don't know what that is. <laughs> All right, Ronan, took a, a brief pause to have some press buffet. Uh, one of the first sort of real press buffets in the entire race, actually. And we are in the Bordeaux region, and so uh, had some wine as well. It was lovely. Yeah, we're flying there. <laughs> we're over at the EF bus. Ronan, I think TT's more than any other sort of part of cycling or part of the circus that we see here. It feels like the athletes are like, I don't know, like racehorses or something, you know? Like, have you ever been to a horse race where they just sort of, they're walking the horses around? They're these, you know, sort of big, powerful animal things. That's kind of what they feel like here. Yeah, certainly. Like it's, uh, they, I think. I think what adds to it is just the fact that they, you know they come out one by one. We sort of we know, but we can't see that the other riders are sitting inside the bus, and then you know the riders who come out when it's time for them to warm up, they get on the trainer. They've got glasses on. They've got earphones on. They've got ice vests wrapped around them, and although they're just like ten feet from us. They may as well be on another planet or we may as well be looking at a photo because they're completely in the zone, getting warmed up. You know, you see them change from light spinning to, you know, pretty hard efforts as part of the warm-up and 
then they just get on the bikes and off they go to the start and the next time we see them it's on a TV screen and they're 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 doing their time trial so yeah it's a it's a strange enough spectacle isn't it Rana, we've been rebuffed kind of kind of our fault <laughs> we, we were meant to speak to him earlier and then he wasn't here we left to go get lunch came back it is what it is the, the directors have to jump in the car behind the three riders that we're looking at right now that are warming up I will just say we did come like minutes before these three riders started <laughs> the second the second last not the penultimate the second last stage of the, the Tour de France and yeah probably not the best of timing and I believe their teammate Stefan Bisker is currently leading at the moment so maybe we can go watch the bike race for a little bit and then uh, discuss afterward he has my pick so there's no chance he's going to hold on The final time trial has come and gone. For those who love the TT discipline, Continental has the super fast Grand Prix TT, or the Aero-Tuned Attack Force set. The Grand Prix TT is specifically designed for going fast over short distances. With its semi-slick tread pattern, black chili compound, and Vectran puncture protection, it is made to challenge the clock, just like they were today. The Attack Force set are the aerodynamic tuning set for the road. The specially developed 3D tread pattern provides flow-optimized behavior on the front, the agile and direct on the rear, comfortable and dampening. Either way, Continental tires are made to get you there fast. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Ronan. Time trial's over. Wout van Aert won. The team that used the little, uh, little dingle-dangle dolly thing you were talking about this morning. The Dangleberg? <laughs> I can't say that. I can't say that. <laughs> he, he did, and uh, Jonas Vienigo was third again. Uh, so, again, two, two steps of the podium, occupied by Jumbo Visma riders, uh, the first and third place. Uh, again, just sort of reiterating their, their dominance in, in the time trial this year. Second place was Casper Asgreen. Pretty solid ride from him. Uh, not unforeseeable. He's he's just a monster on the bike, really. And he, we we need to start sort of talking about him in in relation to a lot of these TTs. I think you know he doesn't. He's not sort of top of mind as a time trialist because he's so good at other stuff. He's so good at spring classics, for example. But you know, it's like Wout van Aert. Wout van Aert is obvi obviously so good at so many other things, but really needs to be at top of mind when we talk TTs as well. Yeah, well, I suppose. Starting with White Van Art, you know, that is uh, a high mountain stage and the time trial that he's won in this Tour de France. So how he hasn't won the overall, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. But uh, no, all joking aside, um, yeah, these riders are just, they're, they're, they're so versatile, you know, in the modern Tour de France. As you said, uh, Asgreen is a classics rider. Of course, he won Ronde van Vlaanderen this year. Uh, and now has come to Tour de France and placed second in the final time trial after three weeks of racing. After three weeks of uh, doing quite a bit for his team sprinter, uh, also uh, sort of featuring in the, in the breakaways a bit, being aggressive in that. So, you know, wasn't exactly sitting back waiting for the time trial uh, and still pulls off second on the day. I think the looking at the results there, the only real surprise is, and I, I, I guess. It, Probably shouldn't be a surprise now, but Vinigo, you know, third again in the final time trial, third in the first time trial, third in the final time trial. Uh, for such, you know, just call a spade a spade, I guess, for such a small 
uh, lightweight rider, uh, a rider who you know we've seen uh, excel in the high mountain stages, was attacking on Von Two, was second to Bogacha twice, uh, and rose third in the two time trials. It's uh, you know incre- another incredible performance and another uh, just a, another Maybe indication of what's to come. I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. So Tadej Pogacar finished in eighth today, all the way down in eighth. Uh, clearly, was not giving it the full beans. I mean, he was he was riding hard. There's no question he was riding hard. You could see his shoulders moving and stuff like that. But uh, you know, fifty basically, he finished 57 seconds down at Wolfenart, and there's quite a few corners out on that course, and was taking none of them with any sense of risk <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, so not too surprising that he would lose a bit of time throughout the course. And he knew what he had to do, and he did it. I mean, he did actually he did actually lose 25 seconds to Vinegu. Uh, not that that really makes any difference because he's still leading this bike race by five minutes and 20 seconds over Jonas Vindigu and third place Richard Carapaz 703 down now you know one of the questions coming in today was who would end up second who would end up third between Jonas Vindigu and Richard Carapaz well that was settled quite handily uh one finished obviously uh, on the stage podium and where is Carapaz if I scroll down the list 23rd 209 down so actually not a terrible TT from him in the grand scheme of, uh, of of Carapaz time trials, but yeah, I think he I think he came into this day knowing that was going to happen. He actually gave Vindigo a little a little fist bump on the start line, uh, which both Brad Wiggins and Sean Kelly in the commentary were quite irritated at. They were like, "You can't do that. You can't you can't fist bump the guy that you're racing today." But I mean, frankly, wasn't really racing him today, was he? No, certainly not. And you know, it's um, I think it, it's. It's good to see that these guys can have a, a, a mutual respect for each other and, and fight it out for the podium at the same time. But realistically speaking, Carapaz was up against it, you know, from the get-go in, in today's time trial. And I think really, in terms of being a Tour de France contender, it's always going to be a bit of an Achilles heel for Carapaz, really, isn't it? If you're shipping minutes in each of the time trials, uh, it's it's always going to be difficult to, to to do any better than he done this year, which is you know to finish third third overall and. You know, third you can be second, but there's a there's a heck of a difference between second and first. I I believe I'm I'm led to believe. <laughs> I I think so. I think the I think the phrase is if you're not first, you're last. I think that's the phrase. Uh, I've been last many times, and last is not second in Tour de France. <laughs> so, moving on down, there was a bit, uh, some other sort of interesting points within the top 10 of the GC. I, I was super impressed with Ben O'Connor's ride. Ben O'Connor hung on to his fourth place finish. He finishes 10.02 back on Tadej Pogacar, which, let me reiterate that, fourth place, 10.02 back on Tadej Pogacar. Uh, but he, he held on and, and, and came in on GC ahead of Wilco Kelderman, which uh, by 11 seconds is the, is the gap there. Super impressive, because Kelderman, Kelderman is, is, a, is a pretty darn good time trialist and was not able to to overhaul the young Australian. Yeah, Ben O'Connor, you know, he, uh, he got himself into that that break that, that bumped him up to second on GC. We saw him crack on Von Two, and everybody thought that might be the end of his, his GC battle, but he seemed, to, he seemed to be the one rider who timed that breakaway move that bumps you way up into GC, 
perfectly and that yes he had one bad day on on round two but then he had a couple of not easier there's no easy days in Tour de France but he had a couple of non-GC days to sort of recuperate and, and since then we've seen him fairly fairly steady in in the in the race and you know he's been he's been up there in the high mountain stages not not contending for the stage one but certainly holding his own uh, and again today in the time trail um, limited his losses to hold on to, to fourth place overall and um, yeah fourth place at, at 10 minutes kind of says that there's only two riders within 10 minutes of the winner it's uh, not something you see every year who wins the uh, High Mars Zabeldia anonymity in the top 10 award this year Lutsenko? It has to be Lutsenko. Yeah, I actually sat outside the Astana bus for half an hour today and didn't even see him. So. <laughs> uh, I think he. I think we can rename that award the Lutsenko Award instead of the Zubeldia. The the Alexei Lutsenko anon anonymity in the top ten at Tour de France award. No, it's got to be. It's just Zubeldia. It has to be Zubeldia. It has to stay Zubeldia forever. Congratulations to Alexei, though. That's a that's a um, that's an important prestigious award here at the Tour de France. Slightly more important than that, though. Even more important. Even more important. The Mayo Sabla. And again, I want to I wanna, I wanna reiterate here that the Mayo Sabla has changed hands on the shops before. It has happened. George Bennett had it coming into the final day two years ago. I believe it was two years ago. Lost it because he tried to pull a lead out. <laughs> I think it was for Grunewagen. And uh, it must have been for Grunewagen. Tried to pull a lead out for Grunewagen and and then fell off the back of the peloton <laughs> and lost like lost like a minute and a half or something like that. So he did lose it. It is possible to lose it. At the moment, though, it is on the shoulders of Balcomolima. Michael Balcomolima. Michael Balcomolima. Yes. <laughs> and, and he looks fairly secure in the in the uh, the Mayo Sable as well. Has he got a two minute uh, buffer? He's got nearly a, about a one and a half minute buffer on Sergio Henao. And unfortunately for Frank Bonamore, who we thought was making a late surge with his breakaway attempts in the final week here, Frank Bonamore finishes in third in the Mayo Saba competition, 104.35. So about three minutes behind Balcomolima. And, you know, that's if the break yesterday had got 23 minutes instead of 20 minutes that's the difference right there that that this is how tight this is this is what we're talking about here it's 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 marginal differences between uh, taking home an award like that and, and and going home with nothing well it's not a whole lot to preview in tomorrow's stage but as always jose bain has uh, a, a different slant on things let's hear from her one more day and a thousand stories left to tell in paris we start in Chateau and make our way to the French capital. On the way, we have all the time in the world to admire the splendor of Versailles. The palace, built by Sun King Louis XIV, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site since 1979. Louis's father, Louis XIII, bought the small estate in 1632, but his son added the splendor when he moved the French court there in 1682. Louis's early life was quite turbulent. His father wasn't really interested in him and his brother. It is even said that Louis XIII wasn't even interested in women and had to be encouraged to spend time with the Queen to make sure there was an heir to the throne. Louis XIII died young, which meant that Louis XIV became king when he was only five years young. So it was his mother who reigned France. 
His brother was basically raised as a girl because, according to the beliefs of Mama, he would pose less of a threat to the throne that way. Today, we would call that a rather dysfunctional family. Sunday's finish is on the Champs-Élysées, as always. This magnificent boulevard runs from the Place de la Concorde, with its famous obelisk in the east, to the Place Charles de Gaulle in the west, with its fantastic Arc de Triomphe. It's almost two kilometers long. But the avenue will drastically change in the near future, and hopefully become a green haven in the middle of Paris. Less cars and more room for pedestrians and bikes, and more trees. The contrast couldn't be bigger, because currently the eight-line highway is used by an average of 3,000 vehicles an hour and is more polluted than the busy périphérique ring road around the French capital. During the pandemic, more and more Parisians have discovered different means of transport to avoid the metro and buses. And this is the right time for fewer cars and more bikes in Paris. The mayor, Anne Hidalgo, said the first stage of the project will involve the renovation of the Place de la Concorde, which will take place before Paris hosts the Summer Olympics in 2024, and the rest of the Champs-Élysées will be completed after the Olympic Games. For now, we still sprint on the cobbles of the Champs-Élysées, but I personally can't wait to see how the place will look in the near future. Well, that was it, friends. We made it to Paris together. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I will get to tell you many more stories next year. For now, merci à tous et au revoir aux routes du Tour de France. So, uh, Ronan, final stage of the Tour de France, what do you think? Uh, breakaway, sprint stage, contesting for the climber's jersey, what are we doing tomorrow? Stunned into silence. Tomorrow's a sprint stage. Uh, we're going to be heading from Versailles, I believe. Is it starting at Versailles this year? I never go to the start of the final stage, so I can never actually remember where it's starting. It's irrelevant to me. We're taking a train to, straight to Paris tomorrow. Um, anyway, they start out of Paris somewhere. And then they do Chateau. nine... Chateau. Chateau. Okay. Outside Paris somewhere. Uh, and they come in and they do nine laps of the shops. And ever since... Uh, I think it was the 100th tour a couple years ago when the, the first one where they they decided to do something special and, and run it even later than normal. And so you literally sort of, you know, they cross the line on the Champs the final time and, and the sun sets like 15 minutes later. They've kept doing that because it's cool, makes for cool photos, people like it. So it finishes super, super late tomorrow. Uh, it finishes like 8.30 or 9 o'clock or something like that. And it's going to be a sprint, obviously. It's always a sprint. Uh, although... We have a bad track record of calling sprints uh, in this last week, so who the hell knows? It has finished a solo effort before. Let's uh, let's let's take our minds all the way back to Alexander Vinokurov. Granted, granted, um, he had some help, we think. Uh, yeah, he won solo in 2005 on the Champs Elysees. Attacked? Uh, did he attack one through the tunnel? If I remember, I think so. I think so. Yeah, but he uh, yeah held off the the chasing bunch and, and and won solo, so it's not impossible, but a lot less likely in the modern era <laughs> with doping controls and whatnot. You know, Vino is actually a story that we haven't we haven't heard much of uh, since the beginning of the race. Remember, he was he was booted out of his team at the start of this Tour de France. We haven't actually talked about that really at all. I don't think we really need to. He's he's been booted. <laughs> 
<laughs> if we hear anything else, we'll let you know. But anyway, it is it is possible. It's possible that uh, tomorrow ends without a bunch sprint. I can't imagine that Dakuna Quick Step would let that happen. In fact, I'd say there may be, even be a snowball's chance in hell <laughs> of a breakaway succeeding tomorrow. And I, I, I would stake my reputation on this particular one. <laughs> Not that, again, not that it's impossible, but it's very, very unlikely. Very can unlikely. I, can I sit on the fence? <laughs> no, you can't sit on the fence on this one. Come on. No, I just, uh, not sit on the fence, but just, you know, they're, just to sort of reiterate, it is stage 21. Um, they're tired. Yeah, and they're unlikely to get very much support uh, because the more support they get, the more strength they have to do the perfect lead out for Mark Cavendish. So, uh, although... Although the other sprinters teams risk no sprint at all, by not helping Quickstep, at least they have a slightly better chance of not having to go up against that, that lead out. So this is true. So so you know, the issue not the issue, the, the the sort of what spurred yesterday was exactly that, which was nobody actually wanted to help Quickstep and Quickstep knew that they needed to save themselves for what's it's gonna be a battle tomorrow. I wanna be very clear that it's going to be a battle tomorrow, and they're going to try a lot harder to form a breakaway and stay away than I think we see in a normal Champs stage. Significantly harder, and, and potentially be successful. Yeah, because the other teams know, the teams who don't have a sprinter but do have attacking riders know that they're, this year, if, if any year, there is an opportunity for a breakaway to, to win on the Champs. And, and I once heard it said that if you want to be in the breakaway in the Champs, they say you'll be in the break because it rolls off, it has a few laps, it's brought back. I don't think we'll see the same tomorrow. We could see some real big names, perhaps you know, strong classics riders uh, in the move, and, and that'll that'll make it hard to bring back. I, I still think you know, it will come back to a sprint, but it, it's certainly not as nailed on a certain day as it, as it is in other years. Um, and yeah, that might just bring a bit of excitement in, into the final stage. Unless, of course, as well, Tadej Pogacar, who is leading the race, decides that he wants to decide when the breakaway goes and who can be in it and who can't. There was a bit of that, actually, yesterday. Um, there was a brief moment where Pogacar was, was seen talking to Tom Squinch, um, friend of the podcast, and it seems that basically Pogacar's working a little bit for his uh, his countrymen, which actually ended up working out quite well for, for them. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's trying to pick and choose who was in that break and when it would go and how quickly it would go and things like that. So, you know, sort of like the early, early tendrils of a, of a Patron kind of situation here where, you know, he, he is the boy prince still, I think. He's, he's a very, very young rider, but this is going to be his second Tour de France, and at some point... You know, at some point, that that matters more than than just pure age in terms of being able to wrangle control of a peloton. Yeah, and it's it's sort of slightly controversial as well. You know, there was 200 kilometers to go when this happened. The video was emerged. Pogacar rolled up beside Tom's and another rider, and effectively just told them to stop attacking, to sit in the bunch. You know, and, and Mahorts had only attacked 30 seconds earlier. Um, so it, it could be because his compatriot and friend had just attacked. It could be that he wanted a bit of control and, and the peloton didn't want as much attacking. And could be that he had to pee. It could be any number of things, but there there is a, there is a bit of a you know precedent that could form there that today Pogaccia effectively has 
final say and and when a break can go clear and when it can't and uh, that's not what people like to see in bike racing no i think back to 2000 i want to say it was 15 or 16 and a mountain stage uh and ian stannard had an issue and chris room basically called a halt to an existing chase because one of his domestiques had a problem. And Movistar at the time was quite perturbed by that. Alejandro Valverde was quite perturbed by that. They didn't really stop. The rest of the peloton did. And afterward, there was a, there was a fair amount of, well, just debate as to whether that was a legitimate thing to do. Froome had said that, the, that it was for some other reason, but anybody watching on television, it was quite clear that that's exactly what had happened. And yeah, it's, it's, it does. It sets kind of a dangerous precedent. It, 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 you don't want the race to be sort of altered in that way by a single individual. That much power is dangerous. Certainly is. We've seen a similar sort of... No, I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> anyway. It's probably going to be a sprint tomorrow. But it may not be. We're, we're, let's just both sit on the fence on this one. I think we can sit on the fence. It, it 100% definitely might be a sprint. <laughs> Could also be won by a breakaway. It would be an unusual thing, but the the ingredients are right tomorrow for a breakaway to be successful. And the fact that the ingredients are right means that everyone who wants to be in that breakaway knows the ingredients are right. This is not going to be a surprise to anybody, which makes the ingredients even more right because they're going to try even harder for it. They know that it's possible. We shall see tomorrow. That's it from us here in, where are we? Libourne. We're in Libourne. I couldn't remember whether we were at the start of the finish right now. <laughs> we're at the, the start of the time trial in Libourne. Uh, it's a good in point not actually that we're in Libourne and not Santa Million because the trains that I've been looking at the timetables for are in Santa Million, not Libourne. So we need to go now and check these <laughs> train timetables. At some point here, uh, Tadej Pogacar is going to show up and do his basically like winner's press conference, which happens at the end of the penultimate stage, not the final stage. Uh, and so we're waiting around for him, basically. But Ronan, you have to go. You have to head to Paris tonight. I head to Paris tomorrow morning. And we will be back, Sign the Tips podcast, tomorrow from sweet, sweet Paris. <laughs>